Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapter 17 from Piper's perspective instead and see how it has shifted to the Argo the Second and how there that group is dealing with the entire Gaia thing. So, we will see how exactly that is going and take a little bit of a perspective change. So here we go. Chapter 17, Piper. Piper couldn't believe how hard it was to find deadly poison. All morning, she and Frank had scoured the port of Pylos. Frank allowed only Piper to come with him, thinking her charm speak might be useful if they ran into his shape-shifting relatives. As it turned out, her sword was more in demand. So far, they'd slain a Lashragonian ogre in the bakery, battled a giant warthog in the public square, and defeated a flock of stemfallian birds with some well-aimed vegetables from Piper's cornucopia. She was glad for her work. It kept her from dwelling on her conversation with her mother the night before. That bleak glimpse of the future, Aphrodite had made her promise not to share. Meanwhile, Piper's biggest challenge in Pylos was the ads plastered all over town for her dad's new movie. The posters were in Greek, but Piper knew what they said. Tristan McLean is Jake Steele, signed in blood. Gods, what a horrible title. She wished her father had never taken on the Jake Steele franchise, but it had become one of his most popular roles. There he was on the poster, his shirt ripped open to reveal perfect abs. Gross, Dad. An AK-47 in each hand, a rakish smile on his chiseled face. Halfway across the world, in the smallest, most out-of-way town imaginable, there was her dad. It made Piper feel sad, disoriented, homesick, and annoyed all at once. Life went on. So did Hollywood. While her dad pretended to save the world, Piper and her friends actually had to. In eight more days, unless Piper could pull off the plan Aphrodite had explained, well, there wouldn't be any more movies. Or theaters. Or people. Around one in the afternoon, Piper finally put her charm speak to work. She spoke with an ancient Greek ghost in a laundromat, on a 1 to 10 scale for weird conversations, definitely an 11, and got directions to an ancient stronghold with the shape-shifting descendants of Paris supposedly hang hung out. After trudging across the island in the afternoon heat, they found the cave perched halfway up a beachside cliff. Frank insisted that Piper wait for him at the bottom while he checked it out. Piper wasn't happy about that, but she stood obediently on the beach, squinting up at the cave entrance and hoping she hasn't guided Frank into a death trap. Behind her, a stretch of white sand hugged the foot of the hills. Sunbathers sprawled on blankets, little kids splashed in the waves. The blue sea glittered invitingly. Piper wished she could serve those waters. She'd promised to teach Hazel and Annabeth someday if they ever came out to Malibu, if Malibu still existed after August 1st. She glanced up at the cliff summit. The ruins of an old castle clung to the ridge. Piper wasn't sure if that was part of the Shape Changer's hideout or not. Nothing moved on from the parapets. The entrance of the cave sat about 70 feet down the cliff face, a circle of black in the chalky yellow rock like the hole of a giant pencil sharpener. Nestor's cave. The laundromat ghost had called it. Supposedly, the ancient king of Pylos had stashed his treasure there in times of crisis. The ghost had also claimed that Hermes had once hidden the stolen cattle of Apollo in that cave. Cows. Piper shuddered. When she was little, her dad had driven her past a meat processing plant in Chino. The smell had been enough to turn her into a vegetarian. 
Ever since the thought of cows made her ill, her experiences with Hera the Cow Queen, the cattle bleponese of Venice, and pictures of creepy death cows in the house of Hades hadn't helped. Piper was starting to think Frank's been gone too long. When he appeared at the cave entrance, next to him stood a tall, gray-haired man in a white linen suit and pale yellow tie. The older man pressed a small, shiny object, like a stone or a piece of glass, into Frank's hands. He and Frank exchanged a few words. Frank nodded gravely, then the man turned into a seagull and flew away. Frank picked his own his way down the trail until he reached Piper. I found them, he said. I noticed. You okay? He stared at the seagull as it flew toward the horizon. Frank's close-cropped hair pointed forward like an arrow, making his gaze even more intense. His Roman badges, mural crown, centurion, praetor, glittered on his shirt collar. On his forearm, the SPQR tattoo with the crossed spears of Mars stood out darkly in the full sunlight. He looked good in his new outfit. The giant warthog had slimed his old clothes pretty badly, so Piper had taken for him emergency shopper shopping in Pylos. Now he wore new black jeans, soft leather boots, and a dark green Henley shirt that fit him snugly. He'd been used to hiding his bulk in baggy clothes, but Piper assured him he didn't have to worry about that anymore. Since his growth spurred in Venice, he'd grown into his bulkiness just fine. You haven't changed, Frank, she told him. You're just more... you. It was a good thing Frank Zhang was still so sweet and soft-spoken, otherwise he would have been a scary guy. Frank, she prompted gently. Yeah, sorry? He focused on her. My, uh, cousins, I guess you'd call them. They've been living here for generations, all descended from Paris Lomenis, the Argonaut. I told him my story, how the Zhang family had gone from Greece to Rome to China to Canada. I told him about the legionnaire ghost I saw in the house of Hades, urging me to come to Pylos. They... They didn't seem surprised. They said it's happened before, long-lost relatives coming home. Piper heard the wistfulness in his voice. You were expecting something big, different. He shrugged. A bigger welcome. Some party balloons, I'm not sure. My grandmother told me I would close the circle, bring our family honor and all that, but my cousins here, they acted kind of cold and distant, like they didn't want me around. I don't think they liked the sun. They liked that I'm a son of Mars. Honestly, I don't think they liked that I'm Chinese either. Piper glared into the sky. The seagull was long gone, which is probably a good thing. She would have been tempted to shoot it out of the air with a glazed ham. If your cousins feel that way, they're idiots. They don't know how great you are. Frank shuffled from foot to foot. They got a little more friendly when I told them I was just passing through. They gave me a going away present. He opened his hand, and his palm gleamed a metal metallic vial no bigger than an eyedropper. Piper resisted the urge to step away. Is that the poison? Frank nodded. They call it the Pylosian Mint. Apparently, the plant sprang from the blood of a nymph who died on a mountain near here, back in ancient times. I didn't ask for details. The vial was so tiny, Piper worried there wouldn't be enough. Normally, she didn't wish for more deadly poison, nor was she sure how it would help them make the so-called physician's cure that Nike had mentioned. But if the cure could really cheat death, Piper wanted to brew a six-pack. One dose for each of her friends. Frank rolled the vial around in his palm. 
I wish Vitalius Ridiculous was were here. Piper wasn't sure she'd heard him right. Ridiculous who? A smile figured across his mouth. Gaius Vitalius Ridiculous. Although we did call him Ridiculous sometimes. He was one of the layers of the fifth cohort. Kind of a goofball, but he was the son of an of Asclepius, the healing god. If anything new about his physician's cure, he might. A healing god would be would have been nice. Piper mused. Better than having a screaming, tied-up victory goddess on board. Hey, you're lucky. My cabin's closest to the stables. I can hear her yelling at night. First place or death. An A minus is a failing grade. Leo really needs to design a gag that's better than my old sock. Piper shuddered. She still didn't understand why it'd been a good idea to make take the goddess captive. The sooner they got rid of Nike, the better. So, your cousins, did they have any advice about what comes next? This chain god we're supposed to find in Sparta? Frang's expression darkened. Yeah, I'm afraid they had some thoughts on that. Let's get back to the ship and I'll tell you about it. Piper's feet were killing her. She wondered if she could convince Frank to turn into a giant eagle and carry her, but before she could ask, she heard footsteps in the sand behind them. Hello, nice tourists! A scraggly fisherman with a white captain's hat and a mouthful of gold teeth beamed at them. Boat ride? Very cheap! He gestured to the shore, where, the, where Skiff, with an outboard motor, waited. Piper returned his smile. She loved it when she could communicate with the locals. Yes, please, she said in her best charming way. And we'd like you to take us somewhere special. The boat captain dropped them at the Argus II, anchored a quarter mile out to sea. Piper pressed a wad of euros into the captain's hands. She wasn't above using charm speak on mortals, but she decided to be as fair as useful as possible. Her days of stealing BMWs from car dealerships were over. Thank you, she told him. If anyone asked, you took us around the island and showed us the sights. You dropped us at the docks in Pylos, and you never saw any giant warship. No warship! The captain agreed. Thank you, nice American tourists. They climbed aboard the Argus II, and Frank smiled her awkwardly. Well, nice killing giant warthogs with you. Piper laughed. <laughs> you too, Mr. Zang. She gave him a hug, which seemed to fluster him, but Piper couldn't help liking Frank. Not only was he a kind and considerate boyfriend to Hazel, but whenever Piper saw him wearing Jason's old Praetor badge, she felt grateful to him for stepping up and accepting that odd job. He'd taken a huge responsibility off Jason's shoulders and left him free, Piper hoped, to pursue a new path at Camp Half-Blood. Assuming, of course, that they all lived through the next eight days. The crew gathered for a hurried meeting on the foredeck, mostly because Percy was keeping an eye on a giant Red Sea serpent swimming off the port side. That thing is really, really red. Sorry about that. I lost my iPhone. That thing is really red, Percy muttered. I wonder if it's cherry flavored. Why didn't you swim over and find out? Annabeth asked. Uh, how about no? Anyway, Frank said. According to my Pylos cousins, the chain god we're looking for in Sparta is my dad. 
I mean Ares, not Mars. Apparently, the Spartans kept a statue of him chained up in their city so the spirit of war would never leave them. Okay, Leah said. The Spartans were freaks, of course. We've got victory tied up downstairs, so I guess we can't talk. Jason leaned against the forward ballista. On to Sparta, then. But how does a chained god's heartbeat help, help us find a curse for dying? A cure for dying? From the tightness in his face, Piper could tell he, he was still in pain. She remembered what Aphrodite had told her. It's not just his sword wound, my dear. It's the ugly truth he saw in Ithaca. If the poor boy doesn't stay strong, that truth will eat right through him. Piper? He's last. She stirred. Sorry, what? I was asking you about the visions, Hazel prompted. You told me you'd seen some stuff in your dagger blade? Uh, right. Piper reluctantly unsheathed Catoptras. Ever since she'd used it to stab the snow goddess Keon, the visions in the blade had become colder and harsher, like the images etched in ice. She'd seen eagles swirling over Camp Half-Blood, a wave of earth destroying New York. She'd seen scenes from the past, her father beaten and bound at the top of Mount Diablo. Jason and Piper fighting giants in the Roman Colosseum, the river goddess Achilles reaching out to her, pleading for the cornucopia she'd cut from his head. I, um, she tried to clear her thoughts. I don't see anything right now, but one vision kept popping up. Annabeth and I are exploring some ruins. Ruins! Leo rubbed his hand. Now we're talking. How many ruins can there be in Greece? Quiet, Leo. Annabeth scolded. Piper, do you think of Sparta? Maybe, Piper said. Anyway, suddenly we're in this dark place like a cave. We're starting at this bronze warrior statue. In the vision, I touched the statue's face and flames start swirling around us. That's all I saw. Flames, Frank scowled. I don't like that vision. Me neither. Percy kept one eye on the Red Sea Serpent, which was still slithering through the waves about a hundred yards to port. If the statue engulfs people with the f in fire, we should send Leo. I love you too, man. You know what I mean. You're immune. Or heck, give me some of those nice water grenades and I'll go. Aries and I have been tangled before. Annabeth stared at the coastline of Pylos, now retreating in the distance. If Piper saw the two of us going after the statue, then that's who should go. We'll be all right. There'll always be a way to survive. Not always, Hazel warned. Since she was the only one in the group who had actually died and come back to life, her obser observation sort of killed a mood. Frank held out the vial of Pylosian mint. What about this stuff? After the House of Hades, I kind of hope we were done drinking poison. Stored secretly in the hold, Annabeth said. For now, that's all we can do. Once we figure out this chain god situation, we'll head to the island of Delos. The Curse of Delos, Hazel mur murmured. That sounds fun. Hopefully, and Apollo will be there, Annabeth said. Delos, Delos was his home island. He's the god of medicine. He should be able to advise us. Aphrodite's words came back to Piper. You must bridge the cap between Roman and Greek, my child. Neither storm nor fire can succeed without you. Aphrodite had warned her of what was to come, told her what Piper would have had to do to stop Gaia. Whether or not she would have the courage, Piper didn't know. Off the port bow, the cherry-flowered sea serpent spewed steam. Yeah, it's definitely checking us out, Percy decided. Maybe we should take the air to the to, for a while. Airborne it is, Leo said. Festus, do the honors. 
The bronze dragon figurehead creaked and clacked. The ship's engine hummed. The oars lifted, expanding into aerial blades with the sound of, like, nice 90 umbrellas opening at once. And the Argo II rose into sky. We should reach Sparta by morning, Leo announced. And remember to come by the mess hall tonight, folks, because Chef Leo is making his famous three-alarm tofu tacos. And that's the end of chapter 18. Wow, that's definitely a very, very fascinating chapter indeed. I think that we saw a lot of dynamics at play here. And we can see everybody's opinions about one another, I feel like, in this chapter in general. Because we see a lot of back and forth between Piper and the others just on her thoughts overall. And then we're switching to other members as well. So this, these conversations may seem small at first, but I strongly think that it's a huge step towards character development, character judgment, and just character in general. And watching that conversation and just being a part of that conversation, it helps you create a perspective on the people who are going through that discussion. So I think that reading from this from... Piper's perspective was able to put that into perspective. So yes, after the break, we will continue this with chapter 18, Piper, and we shall see how this will go. So, see you after the break. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 18, Piper. Piper didn't want to get yelled at by a three-legged table. When Jason visited her cabin that evening, she made sure to keep the door open because Buford the Wonder Table took his acting he took his duties as acting chaperone very seriously. If he had the slightest suspicion a girl and a boy were in the same cabin without supervision, he would steam and clatter down the hall, his holographic projection of Coach Head yelling, Cut that out! Give me twenty push-ups, put some clothes on. Jason sat at the foot of her bunk. I was about to go on duty. Just wanted to check on you first. Piper nudged his leg with her foot. The guy who got run through with a sword wants to check on me? How are you feeling? He gave her a lopsided smile. His face was so tanned from the time on the coast of Africa that the scar on his lip looked like a chalk mark. His blue eyes were even more startling. His hair had grown out corn silk white, though he still had a groove along his scalp where he'd been grazed by a bullet from the bandit Skyron's flintlock. If such a minor scrape from celestial bronze took so long to heal, Piper wondered how he'd ever get over the imperial gold wound in his gut. I've been worse, Jason assured her. Once in Oregon, this Dracaena out cut off my arms. Piper blinked, then she slapped his arm gently. Shut up. I had you for a second. They held hands in comfortable silence. For a moment, Piper could almost imagine they were normal teenagers, enjoying each other's company and learning to be together as a couple. Sure, Jason and she had had a few months at Camp Half-Blood, but the war with Gaia had always been looming. Piper wondered what it would be like if they didn't have to worry about dying a dozen times every day. I never thanked you. Jason's expression turned serious. Back on Ithaca, after I saw my mom's... remnant... her mania. When I was wounded, you kept me from slipping away, Pipes. 
Part of me, his voice faltered. Part of me wanted to stay close, wanted to close my eyes and stop fighting. Piper's heart did a slow twist. She felt her own pulse in her own fingers. Jason, you're a fighter. You'd never give up. When you faced your mother's spirit, that was you being strong, not me. Maybe, his voice was dry. I didn't mean to lay something so heavy on you, Pipes. It's just, I have my mom's DNA. The human part of me is all her. What if I make the wrong choices? What if I make a mistake I can't take back when we're fighting Gaia? I don't want to end up like my mom. Reduced to a mania, chewing on my regrets forever. Piper cupped her hands around his. She felt like she was back on the deck of the Argo II, holding the Boreads' ice grenade just before it detonated. You'll make the right choices, she said. I don't know what will happen to any of us, but you can never end up like your mom. How can you be sure? Piper studied the tattoo on his forearm. SBQR. The Eagle of Jupiter. Twelve lines for his years in the Legion. My dad used to tell me the story about making choices. She shook her head. No, never mind. I'll sound like Grandpa Tom. Go on. Jason said. What's the story? Well... These two Cherokee hunters were out in the woods, right? Each of them was under a taboo. A taboo. Something they weren't allowed to do. Yeah, Piper began to relax. She wondered if this was why her dad and granddad always liked telling stories. You can make even the most terrifying topic easier to talk about by framing it as something that happened to a couple of Cherokee hunters hundreds of years ago. Take a problem. Turn it into entertainment. Perhaps that's why her dad had become an actor. So one of the hunters, she continued, he wasn't supposed to eat deer meat. The other guy wasn't supposed to eat squirrel meat. Why? Hey, I don't know. Some Cherokee taboos are, were permanent no-nos, like killing eagles. She tapped the Jay's symbol on Jason's arm. That was bad luck for almost everybody. But sometimes individual Cherokee took on temporary taboos, maybe to cleanse their spirit or... Because they knew, from listening to the spirit world or whatever, that the taboo was important. They went with their instincts. Okay. Jason sounded unsure. So back to these two hunters. They were out hunting in the woods all day. The only thing they caught were squirrels, and at night they made camp. And the guy who could eat squirrel meat started cooking it all over the fire. Yum. Another lesson. Another reason I'm a vegetarian. Anyway, the second hunter, who wasn't allowed squirrel meat, he was starving. He just sat there clutching his stomach while his friend ate. Finally, the first hunter started feeling guilty. Ah, go ahead, he said. Eat some. But the second hunter resisted. It's taboo for me. I'll get in serious trouble. I'll probably turn into a snake or something. The first hunter laughed. Where did you get that crazy idea? Nothing will happen to you. You can go back to avoiding squirrel meat tomorrow. The second hunter knew he shouldn't. But he ate. Jason traced his finger across her knuckles, which made it hard to concentrate. What happened? In the middle of the night, the second hunter woke up screaming in pain. 
The first hunter ran over to see what was wrong. He threw off his friend's covers and saw that his friend's legs had fused together in a leathery tail. As he watched, snake skins crept up his friend's body. The poor hunter wept and apologized to the spirits and cried in fear, but there was nothing to be done. The first hunter stayed by his side and tried to comfort him until the unfortunate guy fully transformed into a giant snake and slithered away. The end. I love these Cherokee stories, Jason said. They're so cheerful. Yeah, well, so the guy turned into a snake. The moral is, Frank has been eating squirrels? She laughed, which felt good. The moral... No, stupid. The point is, trust your instincts. Squirrel meat might be just fine for one person, but taboo for another. The second hunter knew he had a serpent spirit inside him, waiting to take over. He knew he shouldn't feed that bad spirit by eating squirrel meat, but he did it anyway. So I shouldn't be eating squirrels. Pyra was relieved to see the gleam in his eyes. She thought about something Hazel had confided to her a few nights ago. I think Jason is the linchpin to Hera's old scheme. He was her first play. He's going to be her last. My point, Piper said, poking his chest, is that you, Jason Grace, are very familiar with their own very bad spirits, and you try your best not to feed them. You have solid instincts, and you know not to follow them. Whatever annoying qualities you have, you ever... You are a genuinely good person who always tries to make the right choice. So no more talk about giving up. Jason frowned. Wait, I have annoying qualities? She rolled her eyes. Come here. She was about to kiss him when there was a knock on the door. Leo leaned inside. Uh, a party? Am I invited? Jason cleared his throat. Hey, Leo, what's going on? Oh, not much, he pointed upstairs. The usual obnoxious venti trying to destroy the ship. You ready for guard duty? Yeah. Jason leaned forward and kissed Piper. Thanks, and don't worry, I'm good. After the boys left, Piper lay on her Pegasus pillows and watched the constellations her lamp projected on the ceiling. She didn't think she could sleep, but a full night, full fighting, full day of fighting monsters in the summer heat had taken its toll. At last, she cold closed her eyes and drifted into a nightmare. The Acropolis. Piper had never been there, but she recognized it from pictures. An ancient stronghold perched on a hill almost as impressive as Gibraltar, rising 400 feet over the nighttime sprawl of modern Athens. The sheer cliffs were topped with a crown of limestone walls on the cliff top. A collection of ruined temples and modern cranes gleamed silver in the moonlight. In a dream, Piper flew above the Parthenon, the ancient temple of Athena, the left side of its hollow shell encased in metal scaffolding. The Acropolis seemed devoid of mortals, perhaps because of the financial problems in Greece, or perhaps Gaia's army had arranged some pretext to keep the tourists and construction workers away. Piper's view zoomed to the center of the temple. So many giants had gathered there, it looked like a cocktail party for redwood trees. A few Piper recognized these horrible twins from Rome, Otis, and Ephialtus, dressed in matching construction working outfits, polyboats, and just as Percy had described him, with poison ivy dripping from his dreadlocks and a breastplate sculpted to his resemble human hungry mouths. Worst of all, Enceladus, the giant 
who had kidnapped Piper's dad. His armor was etched with flame designs, his hair braided with bones, his flagpole-sized spear burned with purple fire. Piper had heard that each giant was born to oppose a certain god, but there was way more than 12 giants gathered in the Parthenon. She counted at least 20, and if that wasn't intimidating enough, uh, around the giant's feet milled a horror of smaller monsters. Cyclops, ogres, six-armed earthborn, and serpent-legged trachne. In the center of the crowd stood an empty makeshift throne of twisting scaffolding and some blocks apparently yanked at random from the ruins. As far as Piper watched, a new giant lumbered up the cell at the far end of the Acropolis. He wore a massive velour tracksuit with gold chains around his neck and greased black hair. So he looked like a 30-foot-tall mobster. If mobsters had dragon feet and burnt orange skin, the mafia giant ran through the Parthenon and stumbled inside, flattening several earthborn under his feet. He stomped, gasping for air under at the foot of the throne. Where is Porphyrian? he demanded. I have news! Piper's old enemy, Enceladus, stepped for usual, for forward. Tardy as usual, Hippolytus. I hope your news was worth what the wait. King Porphyrian should be... The ground between them split, and even layer, an even large giant leaped from the earth like a breach, breaching whale. King Porphyrian is here, announced the king. He looked just as Piper remembered the wolf house in Sonoma. Forty feet tall, he towered over his brethren. In fact, Piper realized queasily he was the same size as the Athena Parthenos that had once dominated the temple. In his seaweed-colored brain captured demigod weapons. His face was cruel and pale green. His eyes were as, was as white as the mist. His body radiated its own sort of gravity, causing the other monsters to learn, lean toward him. Dirt and pebbles skittered across the ground, pulling, pulled toward his massive dragon feet. The monster, the monster giant Hippolytus kneeled. My king, I bring word of the enemy. Porphyrian took his throne. Speak. The demigod ship sails around the Peloponnese. Already they have destroyed the ghosts at Ithaca and captured the goddess Nike in Olympia. The crowd of monsters stirred in easily. A cyclops chewed his fingernails. Two draconae exchanged coins like they were taking bets for the end of the world office pool. Porphyrin just laughed. Hippolytus, do you wish to kill your enemy Hermes and become the messenger of the king of giants? Yes, my king. Then you will have to bring fresher news. I know all this already. None of it matters. The demigods have taken the route we expected them to take. They would have been fools to go any other way. But sire, they will arrive at Sparta by morning if they manage to unleash the Makai. Idiot! Porphyrin's voice shook the ruins. Our brother Mimas awaits him at Sparta. You need not worry. The demigods cannot change their fate. One way or another, their blood shall be spilled among these stones and wake the earth mother. The crowd roared approval and brandished their weapons. Hippolytus bowed and retreated, but another giant approached the throne. With a start, Piper realized that this one was female, not that it was easy to tell. The giantess had the same dragon-like legs and long braided hair. She was just as tall and burly as a male's, but her breastplate was definitely fashioned for a woman. Her voice was higher and reedier. Father, she cried. I ask again, why here in this place? Why not on the slopes of Mount Olympus itself? Surely. Paraboya, the king growled. 
The matter is settled. The original Mount Olympus is now a barren peak. It offers us no glory. Here in the center of the Greek world, the roots of the gods truly run deep. There may be older temples, but this Parthenon holds their memory best. In the minds of mortals, it is the most powerful symbol of the Olympians. When the blood of the last heroes is spilled here, the Acropolis shall be raised. This hill shall crumble, and the entire city shall be consumed by the earth, mother. We will be the masters of creation. The crowd hollered and howled, but the giant paraboya didn't look convinced. You tempt fate, father, she said. The demigods have friends here as well as enemies. It is not wise. Wise? Porphyrin rose from his throne. All the giants took a step back. Enceladus, my counselor, explain to my daughter what, what wisdom is. The fiery giant came forward. His eyes glowed like diamonds. Piper loathed his face. She'd seen him too many times in her dreams when their father was held captive. You need not worry, princess, Enceladus said. We have taken Delphi. Apollo was driven out of Olympus in shame. The future is close to the gods. They stumble forward blindly as for tempting fate. He gestured to his left, and a smaller giant shuffled toward forward. He had grady, grady gray hair, a wrinkled face, and eyes that were milky with cataracts. Instead of armor, he wore a tattered sackcloth tunic. His dragon scale legs were as white as frost. He didn't look like much, but Piper noticed that the other monsters kept their distance. Even Porphyrian leaned away from the old giant. This is Thune, Enceladus said. Just as many of us were born to kill certain gods, Thune was born to kill the three fates. He will strangle the old ladies with his bare hands. He will shred their yarn and destroy their boom. Loom. He will destroy fate itself. King Porphyrian rose and spread his arms in triumph. No more prophecies, my friends. No more futures foretold. The time of Gaia shall be our era and we will make our own destiny. The crowd cheered so loudly, Piper felt as if she were crumbling to pieces. Then she realized someone was shaking her awake. Hey, Annabeth. Hey, Annabeth said. We made it to Sparta. Can you get up early? Panna Piper sat up groggily, her heart still pounding. Yeah. She gripped Annabeth's arm. But first, there's something you need to hear. And that's the end of chapter 18. What a fascinating chapter. I think the real highlight of this chapter, for me personally, would probably be Jason and Piper's relationship. I think that it's... When we see the growth of how it first started and how it's come to now, it's such an interesting dynamic to see because Piper, you know, it starts off with Piper assuming that Jason also has a crush on her. But due to his memory loss, he doesn't because he doesn't remember anything about even meeting Piper in the first place. So that leaves their relationship already in the muddly, muddy kind of place and then after you know spending time together with the Argo the second and taking on the emissions necessary they're finally able to rekindle in a way where they're still dating but it's slowly but surely actually starting to become a couple so I'm I'm very happy for them and I think that it's a great progress that they're making overall and I hope to see more successful progress of this occurring so that is the end of our chapters. We will now be moving on to our Q&A session and shout-out session. Once again, if I miss your name or your shout-out, do please let me know in the comments, and I will try to get you in my next episode. Additionally, there's a disclaimer. 
that if I do not answer your question, it potentially means that I am uncomfortable answering that question. However, this is not to discourage any individuals from asking questions because it means a lot to me that you still would like to ask a question because you are genuinely concerned. And I would just, in order to... In order to answer those questions, it's just I, at the moment, do not feel comfortable answering them. Hopefully, in the future, I'll be able to, but at the moment, I am not. So, let's first look at our shoutouts. We have Josh and Tunable. Thank you, guys. Now, moving on to the questions. Number one is, if you had to revive Gaia or Tartarus, who would it be? Tartarus, because I feel like he would be stuck in the underworld based on my knowledge of reading of what he has done when Annabeth and Percy were in Tartarus. It seems like his only constriction is Tartarus, whereas Gaia has literally the whole world to terrorize civilians. So I think I would I would definitely not choose Gaia. Next question is, favorite mortal character? Potentially Rachel? I just think that her experience as a individual and how she's come from the background that she's come from and being able to embrace that she's an oracle of Delphi is something that I think that it's it's a really interesting it's really an interesting story and background and just how Rachel has come to the point that she has come to now it's just really fascinating to see uh next question is what do you think about Nico and Reina's relationship I think it's getting better. I think in the at first, if I remember correctly, they didn't really know much about each other. I mean, they both were too busy with, you know, Nico was busy shifting between camps. Reyna was busy with taking care of Camp Jupiter. So I feel like that intersection or that pure conversation was something that usually did not happen. And that is why it's taken up until now for Nico's and Reyna's relationship to grow as an individual because they are the ones transporting the Athena Parthenos. So I think that it's definitely getting better and I can't wait to see where it goes. Next question is, have you ever read the Odyssey? I have not, but I know what it is about because I've heard about it a lot. (laughs) Uh, Next question is, if there was one topic that could have been explained more, what do you think it could be? I think that, and this is from actually Percy Jackson and the Olympians, I think, if I remember correctly, I did not get enough about Tyson's backstory. We suddenly see him being introduced as one of Percy's friends in, I believe, the third book. But in terms of Tyson's backstory... It's still a little bit muddly for me as to how he grew up and how he came to the point that he is now. I would really like to see how that would go down. But yes, that concludes our Q&A session and our shout-out session. Once again, if you would like to ask a question or be shouted out, do please let me know in the next episode, and I will try my best to get to you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.